You're with Karen, accentuating the positive on FM 99.3. How are you going this morning? I've got a delicious lady with me in the studio. Her name is Rebecca Brown. She is a soul specialist and multi-dimensional teacher and the name of her business is called Soul to Soul. Good morning, Rebecca. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. Your business sounds fascinating. What does a soul specialist do exactly? Well, that's a great question and that has evolved over the years. And really what it is about is healing at the level of the soul. When people come to see me, I don't just treat them as a person, but I see their whole soul before me. So what I do is not just work with this lifetime and the issues in this lifetime, but very often there's a root cause back in past lifetimes or deeper in their journey And so we work at that level. The healing is very deep and very profound and often beautiful insights come in to the client, not just about themselves, but also about some of the relationships and the key people, the circumstances in their lives. And so it's really special work. Rebecca, it sounds fascinating. How did you get into this line of work? What happened to you along the way to make you start thinking about this sort of thing? I think that most healers have a story. And it's in healing their story that then they step into this work of helping others. So I certainly have a story. I didn't start off spiritual. You know, many spiritual workers will talk about being young and seeing fairies and all of that sort of thing. But for me, that didn't happen. Actually, I always say I didn't have a spiritual bone in my body. But when I was a child, my dad really wasn't around for us and my mum was a single mum raising my brother and I. I guess the biggest trauma through all of that was that my mum passed away when I was 13 years old of breast cancer. We had to move then to my grandparents and we moved from Western Sydney onto the North Shore of Sydney. So it was quite a big cultural change, you could say. And living with my grandparents, you know, there was that generational gap and I just had a lot of wounding, deep grief and so forth that really wasn't processed, I guess, when I was a teenager. And then on top of that, you've got all the normal teenage stuff that you're dealing with. Let me ask you, when your mum died, you were 13, did she die quickly or did she linger? She lingered, yeah. yeah. So it was a long journey. She actually had breast cancer. She was very young, got breast cancer at 28. Wow. Yeah. And she died at 32. Wow. So she had went through treatment, you know, a double mastectomy and reconstruction and all of that sort of thing. So as a young girl, you were watching your mother suffer. Mm, mm. Definitely. And you must have been thinking, I need to stop this suffering. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. Yeah. It was definitely a hard time. But for me, I threw myself into school. I was very bright academically. And so for me, it was all about the achieving and getting good marks and being the good girl because I didn't want to disrupt the home or make my mum have to feel that she had to look after me. So I became a very capable young person. How old were you when she first got sick or first started complaining about feeling unwell? I'd say it was about eight or nine years old. Yeah, so you were very young. Mm. So you assumed responsibility at a young age. I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a big part of my journey. Yeah, absolutely. I took that responsibility really into my teenage years, being the good granddaughter now. I worked from when I was 14, you know, at the local news agents, did really well at school and always wanted to be the good girl. And so when I was 18, all of that sort of came to a head and I guess the rebel finally came out in me <laughs> and I moved out of home. <laughs> did you become the bad girl then? I did. Good actually, <laughs> I've been talking a little bit about it lately because I moved in with a band, yeah, a rock band. Go girl. 
so sex, drugs, and rock and it roll. It was. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I remember it very fondly because it was so much fun. <laughs> but all of those suppressed woundings and that suppressed grief around my mum, you know, it was all building up inside. And I became a very heavy drinker, there were drugs, all of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And really, I was thinking about it this morning that I just wanted to push away the pain. The yeah. pain, the grief was so enormous. Yeah. It was very difficult to mm-hmm. deal with. And all of those addictive qualities, I was a heavy smoker as mm-hmm. well, really helped me to avoid that pain. And so that continued for a few years. So actually, I went, being that good girl, still that part of me that was the good girl, the responsible guy, I did a teaching degree because mm-hmm. I always wanted to be a school teacher, mm-hmm. like my mum. Mm-hmm. I'd finished my degree, of course, and I taught for a couple of years. But for me, remember, I was the party girl. Mm. And so a teaching world did not suit that part of me. And I actually went into the corporate world as a corporate trainer. And that was fantastic because we had free bars of work and everyone drank yeah, and it was fantastic. It? Uh, it's our cultural mm. norm. It's crazy to think that our drinking culture is just so a part of life and it doesn't push away the pain. No, it didn't at all. And no. really it just started getting worse and worse and I started to get more unhealthy overall, started to build up adrenal fatigue type symptoms. How old were you when you noticed you weren't feeling so hot anymore? It was about probably 26, 27. Mm. You know, I knew part of me, like I was starting to think I must give up smoking and I even tried to give up smoking and just started to become more aware of these things. Finally, in 2003, I quit the corporate world because I just knew, like it was really interesting because I ticked all the boxes all that good girl part. I had a great income. Mm -hmm. I had a lovely partner Mm -hmm. and I had a high-flying life. I'd travel Mm -hmm. for work. I had a great home, I guess you could say, great social life, going out all the time. It was just fun, fun, fun. And But some part of me wasn't happy. Mm. I just wasn't happy. And Mm. even though I ticked all the boxes. So it was a really interesting time. And I just decided to quit my job. And fortunately, my husband was very supportive of that. So did you blame your unhappiness maybe on work? I'm overworked, overstressed. I think I did, yes. Um, That I didn't have time to discover me. No. Is really what what I was missing was me. Yeah, God, That's no, what I realise now. I can't now. tell you how many people I've interviewed and I've heard this same story. <laughs> I know. It, it just seems, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a high-flying corporate job if that fulfills mm. who you are and what you want to do. But so many people think that that will give them the happiness mm. that they want. And look, for many people it does. A lot of people go into doing what they think they should do and they don't really listen to what they want to do. I've been working with this a lot with my clients lately and I call it an attachment to the formula yeah, or the fairy tale. An attachment to the formula. I love that. Yeah. And so it is. It's like that's why I said it's ticking the boxes Mm. and of what we have been taught will bring us happiness. Mm -hmm. So many people follow that pathway. The formula. Follow the formula. Follow the formula. Mm. Especially for little girls. There's that fairy tale element as well, mm-hmm. waiting for Prince Charming to make you happy, mm-hmm. uh, waiting for the knight to come in and rescue you. Mm-hmm. You know, think of all of our fairy tales. They are so ingrained in us mm. and so ingrained in popular culture mm. and it does have an effect on us. Hence why I have this show, mm. giving people a different story and a different fairy tale to live into. Oh, <laughs> that's the fairy right. fairy tale is within. <laughs> that's right. And it's about 
we're here to be our soul and we all have a unique expression. And that's what I work with, helping people to discover their story, the lessons in that story, heal that story, and then live as the full expression of who they authentically are. And that could be like having a corporate job or (laughs) married with two children, but they have then gone inside to see that that's what makes them truly happy Mm -hmm. and that's fine but they're not following the formula mm, mm. Mm. so for me I then went into a space of learning a bit more about natural therapies so I didn't have any idea as I said I didn't have that spiritual bone holistic health I knew nothing so you'd quit the corporate job yeah you knew nothing about natural therapies or holistic living or yoga or meditation or anything how old were you at that stage maybe quite like 28 that sort of age. About 28. Mm. I find today that a lot of people of that age group are aware of that sort of thing. Mm. They might think it's bogus or, you know, not for them, but they're aware of it. Mm. So it's interesting that you say that you weren't even aware of it. Well, I always I tell them of those stories. <laughs> it's a funny story. I remember in the mid 90s, one of my friends at the time, she decided to leave her job and study naturopathy. All of us around her gave her hell. We called her kooky and weird (laughs) because she was doing naturopathy and I can't believe now the work that I do talking about the soul and past lives and all of that. I'm the kooky one now. Now you're the kooky one. (laughs) But at the time, you know, it really has emerged as an industry because it's helped so many people, all of these holistic therapies. Oh, look, darling, you've got people out there like <laughs> Russell Brand telling you to go within, don't take drugs and have lots of sex like me. <laughs> look within. <laughs> He's doing great work though. He's inspiring a lot yeah, of people. I love yeah. how he speaks his truth. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So you became the kooky one and how did you find peace with that? I mean, how did you cope with people calling you kooky when you decided to change the way that you thought and what you were doing in the world? Well, it's an interesting topic because what I find and I've found from my own personal experience and working with many people, there's something called the spiritual closet. So when you first start on your journey, you might not talk about it with your friends and family. And I was certainly that way inclined. So I was still in the spiritual closet. (laughs) How long long did you live in the closet? Probably for a few years. But you found you had certain friends, maybe often new friends that you make at courses and so forth, that you can talk to this stuff about. But with your family and with your old friends, you really don't talk about. There's a separation there. So for me, it was interesting because... I opened up to that natural therapies, but then I actually got lured back into the corporate world. My ego got headhunted. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) we're going to pay you heaps of money. We love you. We love you. Exactly. So I got pulled into a job working in the advertising industry, glamorous corporate lunches. It was new technology. Mm. I had a platform where I could create and that job, it was actually, but it was extremely long hours and a lot of pressure Uh working with media print deadlines all of that sort of things even though I'd started thinking about who I was and what I wanted out of life that would make me authentically happy I still hadn't really dealt with all of those underlying issues particularly around my mum's death. So what happened with this corporate job it was fun for a while 
and then it becomes another like now I'm stressed out again mm. and would you kick yourself and say like how did I end up here again? I did <laughs> but this time I ended up in hospital so often I find you know if you're not learning the lessons your experiences might become more challenging. I call those sledgehammer yes. moments. <laughs> it's like it's like life's hitting you on the head with a sledgehammer saying, wake up. <laughs> wake up. It was. <laughs> and that's when I truly left the corporate world. Yeah, I I've was had like, a few of those that's it. <laughs> <laughs> During that time, actually, towards the end of that job, because I really was so stressed, I started seeing a kinesiologist. Yep. That was just so helpful for me. Right. And really opened up a whole new world, going yeah. deeper into the underlying emotions that were suppressed within and understanding more about my story and I actually then ended up studying kinesiology and became a kinesiologist. It's so fascinating that that journey of discovery isn't it and when when you think you know what life's all about you discover there's so much more out there to discover about me who I am what I'm capable of and so many ways in which to do that you know Mm. kinesiology might be just one of them meditation's another one yoga so many ways to find yourself, I suppose they say. Definitely. Find and out who you are and what you want. I always say the right teachers come to the student, you know, when they're ready. Yeah, and exactly. you'll have many teachers over your journey and it's just yeah. a wonderful, wonderful journey. And you never stop learning and expanding. No. It's an ongoing <laughs> process. There's no end to this journey. Exactly. Yeah. After I studied kinesiology, I was thinking about practicing as a kinesiologist, but it didn't quite feel right. And it was interesting. I just wanted to touch on that time for me because I think many people experience is I'd finished some studies. I was doing self-help courses. But if you look at the formula, I didn't have a job. I didn't have children. I was married. I didn't really have any purpose. It was very challenging because people would say, you know, you'd have a social event and people would say, so what do you do? And I'd be like, I had nothing to say. And it really hit something deep inside me, a real core wound around worthiness. All my worthiness had been created with roles, Mm. with doing. Mm. I really struggled with that. And I remember speaking to a dear friend of mine who's been on the journey with me And she gave me some really good advice. She said it was about me owning where I was at on my journey and actually speaking truthfully that I was in a stage of self-discovery. And actually, if I spoke about that, people would connect with that. Mm. And it's really funny when you do speak your truth in these social situations, then people start to share their truth as well. Mm. So I would say, well, actually, I've quit my corporate job and I've been trying to find out more about who I am on on a healing journey and I've been working with angels. And they would be like, oh, wow, I've been doing some meditation recently because Mm. I found it really helps. Mm. And it would open up a whole new conversation and it was really wonderful. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I remember years ago I was having a conversation with some people and we were talking about when people say, you in a relationship and you go, yes, I'm in a relationship with me. I'm getting to know myself really well. <laughs> <laughs> the most important relationship I can have. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like you've had a big journey. You've been on a big self-discovery journey and you have found some answers. How do you use that to help other people find some answers? Well, my journey really has opened me up to understand that I am not just this physical body, I am a soul. 
And there's been so much learning within that and really understanding life from the soul perspective. So that's how I help people is to understand life and who they are from a soul perspective. And of course, I've learned so much through books and through teachers and workshops, but really I have learned most from within and from my own journey and what I call my channel, which is where I connect with the higher realms like angels and guides and so forth. And actually they've taught me a whole lot of new stuff that I couldn't find in any books and so forth. When did you first discover that you had communion with your higher source or your guides and your angels? Well, even through my kinesiology journey, I remember there was a girl in our class and she could talk to the angels and I thought it was a special gift. I mm-hmm. thought some people had it and other people didn't. Yeah. And I certainly didn't have that gift. <laughs> but there must have been something inside me that knew better. So a couple of years after I did my kinesiology studies, I then went and did a clairvoyant healing course, which really helped us to open up to angels and guides and past lives and all of that sort of thing. And I went along for a few weeks, nothing happened, but I kept going for some reason because that inner voice was guiding me. And then at one particular class, we were doing past life readings and I had an experience where I really knew that information came through very clearly and it really related to my partner that I was working with. I didn't really know them very well and it all started opening up from there but really it was always there. It's just that I opened up to trusting it. Yeah, trust is a big issue, isn't it? Certainly is. Especially when you come from that sceptical place that you were in before you started all this work. Certainly because who does teach us about our soul? Who does teach us about our intuition? That's a great question, isn't it? Who does teach us about our soul and our intuition? I have a workshop that's online and I do it face-to-face as well called the Soul Series. And the first part of that is awakening to the fact that we are a soul, like what is a soul? How does it all work? And the first question I ask the class is, what have you learnt about the soul in your life? And for 95% of people, it's nothing. The 5% of people that say something is through the church, through religion, their religious studies, and that's very basic information. So I feel that everybody needs to learn about the soul and it's actually not hard and children can understand it. You know, it's not something that we have to wait till we're 18 or 28 or 50. It's actually something that children understand and Also, we teach children about angels and crystals. They love it and they pick it up very quickly. And because they don't have the programming that we have around, you know, intuition is scary or intuition is silly, they actually meditate very easily. They talk to their angels. They get the names of their angels. One of the things that people find when they start working with angels is, or adults, I should say, is They can often describe their angel and so forth, but they always have a block around the name because that programming is so strong. And kids, they just come out with it straight away. They come out with the angel's name, no problem at all. It's amazing and it's really lovely to see that there is a shift happening with the kids that are coming through. I know, it's wonderful, isn't it? The kids of today are so tuned in, turned on and tapped in to their intuitive sense and to who they really are. Yes, when I was a child, no one taught us how to use our intuition. For me, it was very academic. It was very left-brained, very logical, rational thought. And that other side, 
was not valued, you could say. So even think about our schooling system. At the time, really, art, music and so forth was something that you maybe spent an hour a week on in primary school. You know, you just went and did those things just to fulfil that part of you, but it wasn't really valued. The focus was on maths, English, reading. Absolutely, Rebecca, I agree. I really would love to see this sort of thing taught in every school. And, you know, recently I'd had a conversation with someone that worked at MUM in the States, which is the university the Maraheshi University of Management, and they teach consciousness and meditation as, as part of the curriculum to just to go within and to tune in to voice within, if you like. And I just would really love to see that taught in every school in some way. Definitely. We have two sides to our brain and that's reflected in two sides of our energy field, the yin and the yang. And it's really important that they work together. You can't have one without the other. You'll become unbalanced. You'll become stressed. We're always in our logical brain, which is also the yang energies, the doing, doing, busy energy, controlling, then we will generally get adrenal burnout, which is what I experienced. Mm. And we need to acknowledge that part of us that needs to rest, to be, to go within. And what I find and the way that my whole business has developed over the years is everything comes from that intuitive place. Mm, Everything that I do, every workshop that I do, Mm. even if I, you know, my rates that I set for my clients down to those practical things, everything comes from going within to either a, a meditation or just asking my angels and guides and my business has flourished over the years without a lot of effort in marketing and the traditional aspects to business. Absolutely agree. It just creates so much clarity and thinking. And when you've got that clear thinking, you have room for inspiration. You have room for great ideas. So meditators are people that just come up with really fabulous ideas all the time. You know, they're just springing with idea after idea. What about that? What about that? Solutions to problems. And yeah, you can think clearly. Mm. It's just so important. You're not cluttered with what to do next and how to fulfill somebody else's desire, your boss, your partner. You can think clearly. (laughs) Definitely. And I was chatting to a client just this week, actually, And we were talking about the whole phenomenon of reaching for your phone at the traffic lights and we realise we're afraid to be bored. And so I asked her to write an article for me. She's a mum of three. So her kids obviously come with the old adage, I'm bored, mum. What can I do? So we, she's written a fantastic article that I'm going to publish on my website from the perspective of a mum of three and how to deal with that. But also we need to look at ourselves as role models to these children when we can't be bored. And that is when you're bored, when you're just sitting there just daydreaming and thinking that's when all of those creative ideas come, solutions to problems that you've just been talking about. We need to be bored. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Bored is just a construct of the mind mm. too. So bored is a thought saying, I'm not happy with where I am mm. right now. And being happy with nothing is what meditation is mm. about. Exactly. You know? In fact, Deepak Chopra said it beautifully, do less and achieve more. When you live as your soul, you are being you as opposed to doing. And I have found the more that I be me, the more my business, my my work, my service work that I'm here to help the world with actually flourishes. So I really agree with Deepak Chopra there. Like I have personally experienced that. And so when we're living as our soul, it's effortless. Yeah, it is. It's easy. Life Mm. becomes easy. That's right. Yeah. 
in that alone, you know you're on track. If it's easy, you're on the right path. If it's an effort, then you're pushing against something that's not you. That's right. Oh, beautiful. It's been such a joy talking with you today, Rebecca. And how can people find out more about you? I have a lovely website with lots of goodies on it. It's www.soul2soul.com.au. Now, the two in that is actually a T-O, not the number two. So soul2soul.com.au. And I have some free meditations. I have quite a few articles on the website and other resources and you can read all about the healing work that I do and I also offer a lot of workshops right from the beginner level with developing your intuition through to someone who's further along their spiritual journey and channeling and so forth. um, So you help people tap in and you help people find their intuition and if they want to be a teacher or channel, you help help that too. Definitely. From the beginner to the teacher. That's right. All areas. All areas. And actually, I'm soon to launch a book covering that journey, that journey, which we often use the word ascension or enlightenment of becoming your soul, becoming the fullest expression of who you are. And that's sort of you go through a few phases of that, as I've talked about today. And that journey has been mapped out in a really human way because it's actually for everyone. It's not just for someone that might be special or someone who can go and sit on the mountain for 10 years and meditate it's this journey of living from the soul is for everyone absolutely thanks so much for being on accentuate the positive radio thank you so much it's been a joy and a pleasure bye for now you've been listening to karen swain on accentuate the positive radio i've been chatting with rebecca brown who is a soul specialist and multi-dimensional teacher and if you want to find out more about her go to soul to soul.com dot au and discover more.